0: What does the Bible teach concerning faith? In our study of Christian teaching, the Bible's teachings, we come to a study on faith. And if you turn in the back of your songbooks to page 875, God has given us the gospel in Jesus Christ. But that gospel must be received by faith to do us any good. Page 875. And so question 20 asks, are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? No, no, only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. It is also a wholehearted trust. It's the other aspect of faith, trust, which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel. That God has freely granted not only to others, but to me also forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace only because of Christ's merit. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel. A summary of which is taught us in the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. And that's what we hope to study next. The summary of the Bible's teaching in the Apostles' Creed. Well, brothers and sisters, let's turn now to Matthew 14... Where we see an instance of faith and doubt. Page 975 in your pew Bibles. And we'll read verses 22 through the end of Matthew 14. Again, we come to a matter that's extremely important, congregation, for our salvation Faith. 14 verse 22, immediately he made the disciples, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten By the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's from three to six a.m., in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is God's word. May he bless us and build us by it, congregation. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ from the law, From the law of God, we learn we're great sinners in need of a great Savior. And that great Savior must be both fully human to stand in our place, become sin for us, and pay the wages of sin, which is death. He must be sinless human, but he must also be fully divine to have enough power to bear the weight of God's wrath, infinite wrath in his humanity, he must also be divinely powerful. From the law of God, we learn we're great sinners in need of a great savior. And from the gospel of God, we learn that God, When he looked on the earth and was appalled that there was no one to intervene, Isaiah 59, said, I'm coming down myself. And he provided that great Savior through his son, Jesus Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. That's the gospel. We're great sinners in need of a great Savior. And God, in His great love for this world, has provided that Savior, Jesus Christ. But so what? How can that great Savior do you any good unless you come to Him? And that's the only way to escape God's wrath and return to God's favor is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith alone takes you to him, unites you to him, and gives you all the salvation that he has accomplished for you, that God has provided for you in him. Faith alone, we have to come to Jesus as sinners and personally embrace him as our savior. That's what faith is. And that's what we want to see this afternoon. What is true faith? And yet often our faith is assaulted by doubts about Jesus. And then only faith in Jesus can overcome these doubts. Faith versus doubt. First, we see that faith is stepping out to come to Jesus. Secondly, faith is assaulted by doubts and sinks down. And thirdly, faith is restored to stand firm again by looking to Jesus and taking his outstretched arm. First then, faith means stepping out to come to Jesus. There's a great Savior. What will you do with him? There's so many who grow up with him. Just assume him, but never come to him and live in unbelief. But are all those saved through Christ who are lost in Adam? No. Only those who are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and receive all his benefits. True faith is not stepping out into the unknown. That's how some people think of it. It's not a leap into the dark hoping somebody will catch you On the way down, no. Faith is the opposite. It's stepping out into the arms of a God whom you know is true and will hold you fast. In that sense, there's no risk to faith at all. Only security. You're stepping out of a life of risk of insecurity and uncertainty, a life that can't hold you up, a life that can't save you from sin and judgment and ruin. You're stepping out of that life into a life that's fully certain and secure in God. You're stepping into a life where your judgment has already been taken care of. Your sin has been paid for. You have eternal life guaranteed. How is that a risk? The only risk is leaving the comforts of the old life behind. The things that made you feel so good even though they were disastrous. Think of it this way. Faith is jumping out of a sinking ship where there's no hope of survival. Jumping out of a sinking ship into a sound and safe ship that's on its way to God and his paradise and is the true Titanic that is absolutely unsinkable. Not the false Titanic that did sink. Truly unsinkable. That's faith. Jumping out of the sinking ship of your own life of sin. Into the unsinkable ship of the triune God through his son Jesus Christ. That's on its way to glory. It's the only reasonable choice to make in your life. It's foolish to stay in your sinking ship or to jump into another sinking ship. That's what some do. They say, oh, this idol isn't working for me. Let's try that one. It's foolish to stay in your sinking ship or to jump into another sinking ship. That can't save you. And the only right and reasonable choice is to step out of your life of sin. And come to Jesus for new life. Righteousness and life. To escape judgment and return to God's favor. Now this faith has two components. There's first the mind or the knowledge component to true faith. You have to know there is this ship out there. This unsinkable ship. You have to know what it is made of. You have to know who it is. You have to know why it's good. That's the message of the Bible. God has provided an unsinkable ship for you. True faith, says the catechism, is a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. Faith studies the Bible. It trusts God's word to be true and reliable. It's a sure knowledge. As you learn the message of the Bible, the Holy Spirit persuades you that this message of God's salvation in Jesus Christ is true and real. And there's no other message like it anywhere that holds water. No other way out of your predicament of sin and death. And while the Holy Spirit is persuading you of the truth of the Bible's message, He's also showing you that the way of salvation promoted in other religions cannot work, it is man made. Is inherently unreliable and is a lie. He shows you that to trust in science or medicine or human government is inherently unreliable and over centuries has done nothing to rescue man from his sinful state. For example, The Holy Spirit shows you that the Quran is a corrupt book written by a corrupt man named Muhammad and teaches a corrupt way of salvation which leaves sinners to pay for their own sins. The Holy Spirit shows you that only the Bible is not man-made. Only the Bible comes from God. Only the Bible proves itself true against every attack that comes against it. And only the Bible provides that true wisdom that solves the problem of how unholy sinners can be made right with a holy God. And only the Bible provides the true narrative Of this world and your life in it how God created everything very good how we sinned against him and came under a curse and how God loved this world so much that he sent his son to come under that curse that every sinner who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life that's the true narrative and only the Bible presents the gospel the true gospel that God saves sinners from their sin to serve him And the truth of Scripture is confirmed in so many ways by manuscript evidence, far more manuscript evidence than any other ancient book, by historical and archaeological evidence as well. Of course, I could never accept. God's word is true. Because my mind has a bias against what is true. Ever since Adam and Eve believed the lie, man has been on a course of having a bias and inclination against God's word for the lies of Satan. So unless the Holy Spirit through the gospel opens my closed mind, To see that, yes, this is the only truth that makes sense. Of how to get out of sin and get back into a relationship with a holy God. Unless the Holy Spirit does that work in my life, I'll never come to faith. But he does. And he does it as I hear the word. Then the Bible proves itself To me, to be the word of God by its very truth that lives in it. That's the first main component of true faith, the mind. It's a sure knowledge that I discover in the scripture. But it's more than a knowledge. It's also a matter of trust, personal trust. A matter of the heart and will. Because you see, if I know that God has sent me a ship, but I prefer to stay in my own sinking ship and never take the step, make the choice to come to Jesus Christ, to step out of my ship and jump into His, jump into Jesus' arms. I will never be saved. So I must also personally trust that this ship has been sent by God to me. And it's for me. And I need it for my life. And then it God grants to me righteousness, salvation, and eternal life. And so we see both those sides of true faith, a sure knowledge and a personal trust. And that's what we see in Peter. When Peter sees Jesus coming on the water, at first the disciples think they've seen a ghost, but when he speaks to them, it is I, the Lord, do not be afraid, Peter believes in him. And he entrusts his life to Jesus. And he steps into the turbulent waters of the Sea of Galilee to come to Jesus. And this is a reasonable thing for Peter to do. It's not crazy. Why is it reasonable? Not because Peter's so good at walking on water but because Jesus is so powerful to save us and hold us up. And Peter has all the evidence. He has witnessed so many miracles and he has the truth of the word of God on it. And so he steps out to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, not trusting in himself at all. If it's you, give me the command and I will come. And Jesus says, come. And as soon as he gives the command, it is the right thing to do. And you cannot fail in obeying Jesus' call to come. Because it leads to him. It leads to him. Now we might not be boating, brothers and sisters, in the Sea of Galilee right now. Yet we're called to faith in so many similar situations. Faith is just entrusting your life to Jesus' power and Jesus' love. Entrusting your life of upheaval in a sinking ship To Jesus' power and love in the midst of the storm, and expecting Him to hold you fast. That's faith. Are you trusting in God's Son for your forgiveness of sins and for your righteousness before God and for your eternal salvation? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ to lead you safely to the other side, to life? Guaranteed with him, you're safe. But secondly, our faith in God and in his son is assaulted by many doubts and on many fronts. And when we doubt, we begin to sink. And we see that in this passage as Peter is walking on the water, upheld by the power of Christ. Peter lets go. He lets go of Jesus, and I mean that spiritually. His faith gets its focus off Jesus. And he begins to focus on the wind, on the waves, on the turbulence, on the troubles. And their power on the Goliaths around him. And he begins to doubt that Jesus will hold him fast. And as soon as he doubted Jesus, what happened? He started to sink. He doubted that Jesus would keep him safe. He doubted that Jesus could keep him safe. He suddenly began to believe that The troubles of life would overpower him and take him down, and Jesus was not good enough and not great enough to rescue him, to keep him. And it's in that moment when he took his eyes off Jesus and his focus became the wind and the waves, he started to sink. Doubt began to sink him. And, brothers and sisters, this is not unusual. Look at most of the saints in the Bible and you will discover doubt. They fought with doubt. Most of them went through times when they doubted God and His Christ and they doubted the promises. And as believers, we're so often in the spot of the Father, remember? That Father who wanted Jesus to heal His Son from a demon, from demon possession. And this father said to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus answered, if you can. All things are possible to him who believes. The father responded, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. As sinners trusting in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, our faith is never operating at 100%. If God saved you because your faith was perfect, you'd never be saved. But Jesus said, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, it's grabbing onto Jesus. And he's the one, not the strength of your faith, but the strength of the one you believe in who will save you. Sometimes doubts can be intellectual. Someone asks a question about the Bible that shakes you to the core. Someone points out to you what looks like a contradiction in the Bible and your faith is unsettled. Someone mocks the Bible and intimidates you and you wonder, is the Bible really the word of God? Like really, did Elisha actually make the axe head float? Did God really create the world in six days? Six real days? Come on, was Jesus really conceived and born of a virgin? And did he really rise from the dead? And these doubts can make you flounder and waver in your life and sink Sometimes doubts can be emotional. If you go through a time of great sorrow or disappointment or the loss of a job or bankruptcy or you're wounded by family or friends, you go through the death of a loved one, you might seriously be tempted to doubt whether God is really good and whether he cares for you and you can trust his promises for you. Does he really love me? Sometimes our doubts are emotional. Sometimes our doubts are more moral and spiritual. When we're not walking with God so closely. When we're backsliding. When we're not in the word of God and in prayer. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. When we're allowing sin to have a heyday with our minds and in our lives. Then the the person and the power of Jesus become more distant. And then suddenly doubts can rush into your life and start to plague you and drag you down. Because you're getting entangled in the world and your eyes aren't fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where certainty comes from, from him. Not from your own heart. And then Satan will get a foothold and he'll tempt you to doubt everything you thought you believed. So you can have intellectual doubts and you can have emotional doubts and you can have moral and spiritual doubts and you can also have circumstantial doubts. That God suddenly sends such huge upheaval in your life that your faith in him is tested like never before and then you're forced to deal with questions you've never had to answer before in your life. And you wonder whether what you believe is really real. So circumstances can do it too. <clears throat> Doubt. Peter looked at the waves. He felt the wind. He took his eyes off Jesus. And he doubted that Jesus was really Saving material. Brothers and sisters, what should we do when we doubt? What should you do when Satan assaults your faith? Well, what did Peter do? He saw he was floundering, he saw he was sinking. He saw this was crucial, he saw this was an emergency, and he cried out, Lord, save me. It's critical that we do not allow doubts to linger and grow. It's the playground for sin. It's Satan's delight. The longer you keep your eyes off Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, the lower you will sink, and sinking can happen fast. Don't let them linger. Intellectual and spiritual honesty requires that you go after your doubts. Don't trust your doubts, first of all. Don't trust them. There's no reason to assume that your heart and mind are in the right place. Why would you think that? Why would you assume that? Why would you assume your doubt is more valid and trustworthy than the thing you're doubting, especially the never-changing word of God? That would be arrogant. And it'd be contrary to experience, because we know the human heart is very deceptive and proud and not to be trusted. So don't trust your doubts. Let's start there. And don't discard the truth by listening to other doubters because then you really haven't investigated the truth. You're just following the biases of others, of other people's unbelief. So don't trust your doubts or the doubts of others. Rather, secondly, investigate the matter that troubles you. If God is worth believing, then he is worthy of your thorough investigation, honest investigation. If God's word is worth believing, then his word is worthy of your thorough investigation. Let the Bible prove itself to you if it is the word of God. You see, by running away from Jesus and not looking to him, Is no way to deal honestly with doubt. Seek counsel from someone who has traveled through doubt. Seek counsel from someone who knows the Bible well and has studied the matter that troubles you. Seek support from someone who has gone through heavy storms. And above all, pray that the Lord will rescue you from your... If you are real, Lord, rescue me from my uncertainty and bless my study, my investigation. And get your nose into the Bible... For more often than not, doubt comes from not reading it properly, not knowing it well enough, and not seeing God as clearly as we should. Doubt. And as you look to Jesus and cry out to him earnestly and honestly, the one your faith let go of in doubt will not let go of you. Here's the guarantee. The one your faith let go of in doubt will not let go of you he'll make you stand firm in faith again that's what we see thirdly but verse 30 when Peter saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out Lord save me and Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him "O you of little faith why did you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God Look at the results. Number one, Jesus immediately reached out and took hold of him. Oh yes, he rebuked him for his doubt. But he immediately answered his cry when he was sinking. Sometimes we worry that if we doubt, Jesus will be so offended at the terrible questions that we have about him. The doubts that we have, whether he really is who he says he is. He'll be so offended, he'll never listen to us again. He'll reject us. No, look at this. Lord, save me. And immediately, he reached out his hand and took hold of him. What love our Lord Jesus has for doubters who cry out to him. Hmm. He takes us, he holds us, and he lifts us up and sets us back on the solid rock of his word. It's amazing. And the second thing we see here at the end is Jesus used Peter's doubt to make him and the other disciples who were with him stronger in their faith. Imagine that. You can go through a season of terrible doubt, but when you deal with it, and you call on the name of the Lord and you look to him and you investigate his word. You'll come out much stronger on the other side. Like the disciples in the boat, Jesus comes in the boat, the wind ceased. And now their confession of faith in him has advanced. Truly, this is the son of God. You are the son of God. And then the third thing. The presence of doubt. Though it attacks faith, does not negate faith. Remember that. The presence of doubt in your faith, though it attacks faith, does not negate it. No one's faith, remember, is operating at 100%. Our faith in God always has some level of weakness. But faith, even as small as a mustard seed, is clinging to the right person, Jesus. And that right person will not let go of you, though you might loosen your grip on him. You have stepped out into the right ship that cannot sink. Even when that ship can toss back and forth and you wonder where it's really going to hold you, Christ is there. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ And you will be saved. And when your trust is assaulted by doubt, take your doubts to him and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved from your doubts too. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. And through that faith you hold on to us with a power that cannot be broken. Oh, our faith can be so weak and we can tremble and shake so much when troubles come. And yet, though we can dishonor you so terribly, when we cry out to you, you are there and you immediately reach out your hand to help us and save us. What a great Savior. And again, you prove to us, you are the one. You are the one we need. You are the one who will hold us fast. We can't go wrong when we go with you, when we give our lives to you. We praise you, Father, for such a great Savior and so great a salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen.